So we are a people prone to forgetfulness and questioning. I think in some cases it's going into a room and and wondering where we are or why we're there, what we've come in to that room for. From my own experience, I I know that I'm 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 a person of questioning why are things this way? Why, why is this thing true? But I think in extreme cases, and certainly in, in cases related to our faith, that sometimes those forgetful moments and questions present themselves in much more serious ways where we begin wondering if God hears our cries, if, if in our pain and our hurt, He's actually really there listening and responding. We know that this is a temptation to, to be a forgetful and questioning people because we have the Bible. And as we look here in Exodus chapters 13 through 18, we see that that's really what comes on display just as a, as a quick overview, uh, Robert and I have been teaching most of the Old Testament, and uh, we are going through the book of Exodus. And Robert started us off in Exodus chapters 1 through 4, and there he reminded us and showed us that God is using the man Moses to mediate between himself and his people Israel. He has reminded them of the covenant with their father Abraham, and he has reinstated that covenant with this people. Then we went into chapters 5 through 10, and there we saw that God put his authority over the cosmos on display, and particularly his authority over a king, Pharaoh. And then last week, Robert took us into Exodus chapters 11 through 13, where we saw that God instituted something called the Passover that memorialized the fact that God gave a sacrifice to the people of Israel, that His wrath upon the nation of Egypt might pass over them when He comes to a doorpost with blood on it. And here, as we are moving into Exodus chapter 13, we see Israel finally making their departure from under Pharaoh and out of Egypt. But before we move really too far into it, I, I want to point something out that's, that's, that's really significant to the book of Exodus and really significant to our understanding of who God is and how He deals with His people. So I want you to look back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
So early on in the book of Exodus, we see God hearing the pleas of his people and coming down to interject himself into the history of the people of Israel. But something here in in chapter 13 of the book of Exodus is extremely significant and, and extremely formative for us to understand how God works when he interjects himself for a people. Skip down into uh, Exodus chapter 13, down to verses 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people of God. The significance here in in chapter 13 of the book of Exodus is that God is not only the sovereign God that hears His pleas and comes down and interjects Himself, He is also the God that redeems a people to Himself and that He comes down with them and, and He presides with them and He leads them out as a relational, redemptive God. Right? And so it's, it's not that God of chapter 13 is better than the God of chapter 3, but, but what is happening in the second book of the Bible is we're starting to get a fuller, redemptive picture of who God is and His character in salvation history. He's not merely the God that's just sovereignly acting and He's powerful. He's the God that is dwelling with His people in relationship. So here we've been in Egypt since the days of Joseph for 430 years. And for 430 years, they have lacked a relationship with their God. And so in, 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 in 13 through 18, what we see happening is really the question of how does one actually live in covenant with a holy God? How are we to live with a God who resides with His people? And so the way that I've broken it up, because like Brad said, there's a, there's a lot here, and I'm, I'm going to really skim over, or over quite a bit of it. So, so what I've done is I've put this into two separate scenes. Scene one is the Red Sea, and scene two is the wilderness. So let's look here in uh, chapter 14 of Exodus. So in chapter 14 of Exodus, we're going to look at verses 10 through 14. But we see here that the first lesson that God is teaching His people as to how they're to live with Him is this, that they must learn to trust the author of salvation. If you're going to live with and be in covenant with God, you have to learn how to trust the author of salvation. So look with me in 14, verses 10 through 14. So chapter 14, starting in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, 
Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been far better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So we see here the first lesson is that they must trust the author of salvation. And in these verses, we see that God teaches his people the importance of memorial. Right? They, they, they find themselves, they've, they've departed out of Egypt, and they find themselves buttressed up against a massive body of water, and right behind them is Pharaoh and his armies. And fear just grips them to the core. They don't know what they should do. They, they don't know whether or not God is going to interact or interject himself in this moment. All they know is that it seems to us that it would be better just to be back in Egypt. Something that Robert revealed to us as as he wrapped up his sermon last Wednesday was the fact that it was really important to God that the Israelites remember the Passover every year. Remember the Passover. And we kind of wonder, well, well, what, what are these festivals of remembrance really for? What, 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 why is it that we need to remember them every year and, and repeat them? And we see right after the Passover exactly why God has told them to keep a memorial, because they have found themselves coming right out of the Passover and forgetting that the God who just passed over the nation of Israel by the blood of a lamb is now the same nation that is standing with the Red Sea and those that God has already judged. What is the memorial? It's the reminder that if God has been faithful and gracious in one moment, that He will be faithful and gracious in another moment. Right? Far too often we find ourselves in, in, in a difficult or perilous situation, and it's so easy to forget the grace of God that He has put in our lives time and time again. Right? We, we, are, we are between a rock and a hard place, and the call is to remember, and all we can do is forget. This is the God that has led them and delivered them from the bondage of slavery. He has released and freed His people. And what they need to realize, the lesson that they're learning is that they must trust the author of salvation, the only one who is actually redeeming a people to Himself.
So Moses gives them an exhortation here. And the exhortation is really just a reminder of remember who God is and who you are to Him. When God delivered you out of Egypt, He didn't deliver you to live as you once lived in the state that you once lived in. God does not free slaves to then in turn captivate them and put them in a state of slavery again. Why would you ever desire to come back from where God has brought you? Do you not realize this is the God of the Passover? Right? This, is, this is really a formative thing that's happening here early on in the life of the, the, the people, the nation of Israel. Don't forget who you are before a holy and just God. You're the people that He has redeemed and brought up out of the land of Egypt, and He's not done that to give you away or to lose you. Look with me in, uh, in verse 15. We're going to read verse 15 all the way to 31. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near to the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned in its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, 
the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus says the Lord, saved Israel. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So we see here that God teaches his people that salvation is unconditionally for his glory alone. We see as the Egyptians are going through that that it's to the glory of God that they go in and not come out. And in that act, the salvation of Israel is secured because they go through and they come out on the other side. What God is teaching Israel about Himself is that what He does, His wrath, His judgment, His mercy, His deliverance, is all for His glory. It's not dependent on anything. And if the salvation of Israel is for the glory of God, then the salvation of Israel is guaranteed. Right? It's not a question of whether they could have walked through the Red Sea quick enough. It's not a question of whether Pharaoh could have made it through. But it was all dependent on glory being brought to God through the judgment of His enemy and the salvation of His chosen people. So the Red Sea shows that redemption and judgment is the Lord's alone. What the Red Sea is to be is is a marker in the history of salvation for the people of God that He is faithful to deliver and to keep His promises because it's to His glory and His pleasure alone. Look at uh, chapter 15 here in in Moses' song. So just to give you a quick summary, as we go into chapter 13, we see that Israel has departed from Egypt and they, they have come to the sea in chapter 14. They're delivered through the sea, and in chapter 15, Moses and, and Miriam proclaim this, this song of, of praise to the glory of God. And in, in, in chapter 16, we see the people being sent into the wilderness and complaining there's no water, there's, there's no food, there's no water again. And then we see at the end of chapter 17, Israel defeating the king Amalek. And then in chapter 18, we see Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, giving him advice. So as we look back here to chapter 15, to Moses' song, look at verses 13 through 18. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. 
You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And it doesn't just stop there. We don't just see the salvation being the glory of God here for the nation of Israel, but we see it all the way in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. I think it's on the screen. Here in verses 1 and 2. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. What we see here at the Red Sea for us is a lesson of finding rest in the faithfulness and the mercy and the sovereign initiative of God in salvation. Finding rest. We are not redeemed to live lives of anxiety. We're not redeemed to come into a difficult situation or a difficult season of life, to live in fear. We're redeemed by God and set free. Brought through the waters of judgment and set free. It's the moments of difficulty that this life presents to us that we're called to remember. It's the call that Moses made in chapter 13 when Robert preached, remember the Passover. Remember the Passover. Remember that God is both the God of judgment and the God of mercy, and that you are objects of His mercy. And if it's to the glory of God that He has put His mercy on you, He won't take it away. But what the Red Sea really does is that it points us forward with the expectation of knowing that God has a, has a plan of saving and redeeming a people to Himself. Right? When we read the book of Exodus, we're not supposed to just see this Red Sea as our Red Sea moment because we have a difficult time or we're going through a tough season, so it's our wilderness moment. What we're supposed to see is that God has a plan of salvation for His people that extends into eternity. That it's not just a historical moment in history, but it's the life that we live. Look, look in the book of John chapter 5. In the book of John, chapter 5. 
So here, Jesus is not talking specifically about the Exodus, but we get here in, in John what they didn't fully realize in Exodus. We understand that God's provision at the Red Sea is actually meant for so much more and fulfilled in such a greater way. It's pointing forward to God's faithfulness. And here in, in, in John chapter 5, we see chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That Greek word for past is, is often translated crossed over. Right? What, what we understand as New Testament believers, what we, what we understand as people who celebrate every Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the, the passing over of the Red Sea pictures something greater than that. Passing over, not from Egypt into the promised land, but passing over literally from death into life. So here we witness a great escape, but as we move forward, it becomes clear that Israel can't attain the prize of their salvation. And in fact, they have a lot to learn about being in covenant with God. So scene two is, is the wilderness, and that's, that's really chapter 15 all the way into chapter 18. And so we're going we're gonna to look at it pretty quickly. We're going to skip over some things. But we see here in chapter 15 and chapter 16 and 17 and 18 that the lesson is this, that the people of God must learn to faithfully rely on the God of provision. The lesson is that the people of God must learn to rely on the God of provision. These chapters, and, and I'm not going to look at all of them, but these chapters are marked by grumbling. God, having sent His people through the Red Sea, having crushed His enemy, and then grumbling. There's, there's no food. God, why did you Bring us up here through Moses just to starve us. There's no water. Why would God bring us here to make us thirsty? Look with me in chapter 15, starting in verse 25. Verse 25, you can skip to that second sentence. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there He tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in His eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So here we see that God is teaching his people that they must persevere by faithfully listening to his voice in the midst of the temptations and the testing of the wilderness.
what the wilderness reveals about God in relationship with his chosen people is that God is faithful, but because God is faithful, he also expects his people to be faithful. So the wilderness shows the people that God is faithful to provide, but in his provision is the stipulation that they must too be faithful and obedient and listen to him. And so while this is revealed in the wilderness, we obviously know that the wilderness is also going to reveal the fact that Israel can't do this by their own power. That being in covenant with God on the basis of Him being faithful and our faithfulness is never going to work by the power of Israel. Look in 17, verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I'm faithful. Listen to my voice and my commands and my statutes and be faithful. The response, why have you done this, God? Look at verse 14 of the same chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the, year, in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Here God is providing for His people access into the land that He has promised them by giving them military victory. On their own, by their own power and will, they'll never make it. But God is faithful to provide. And then look at 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that the God had done for Moses and for his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Even Jethro has heard in Midian that it is only because of God that the people of Israel have been brought up out of slavery. God is faithful and he requires faithfulness, and yet they will never be able to do it by their own power. The command here that Moses gives them in, in chapter 15, 25, and 26, it's, it's essentially the command to put off any form of idolatry, any passion and lust of the flesh, the desire to, 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 to want food and water more than serving a faithful and merciful God, and to trust and rest in His provision that He has shown time and time again to the people. In the wilderness, you're not meant to serve yourself and seek to please yourself. That did not work for Adam and Eve in the garden. It's not going to work for you here. You must hear God's statutes and commands and listen and obey. But they can't. So we know how the story goes. We know how the story for Israel ends, and so we, we rightly come to the question of, if Israel can't attain the prize of their redemption, then who can? 
If, if God is faithful to provide and he has called his people to be faithful and to listen and fulfill his commands and the people of Israel can't do it, then who on earth can? Well, what we need to see is that salvation doesn't come from God's firstborn Israel. Look back to Exodus chapter 4. Verse 22. This is right as Moses returns to Egypt. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. But what we understand is that salvation doesn't come through the firstborn. If we're reliant on today on the faithfulness of Israel to deliver us before God, it will never happen. But the great truth is this. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 verse 15. Mary and Joseph have just had their son and Herod is on a terror to kill all of the firstborns. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, we hear this. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. What we realize is that God calling, him, calling a people to himself and, and delivering them is not reliant on a moment in history in the book of Exodus that it actually happens and is fulfilled in God bringing up His Son, Jesus Christ, out of Egypt. So we see that Jesus has done for us what Israel could not do. Jesus has done for us what we ourselves cannot do, and that is fulfill God's commands in perfect obedience. When God calls a people to Himself and requires that they come through the wilderness faithfully and obedient to God's statutes, He gives us His Son who can do it for us. We see that all of the conditions of the wilderness and of salvation are met by a righteous Christ and credited unconditionally to those of us who believe. Our salvation is not wrapped up in a moment of, of redemption at the Red Sea because Israel in the wilderness reveals that most of them don't even get to the promised land. But that's not where the story ends. It all culminates in the fact that Jesus came as the firstborn of God to provide redemption for a people who could not provide it for themselves. Having been chosen by God and given the ability to live in a manner that God sees as righteous, not because we are righteous of our own accord, but because Christ has lived perfectly for us. So what's the lesson here? 
I think very simply the lesson is that we are called to remember that God is abundantly more faithful in salvation than we can ever hope for Him to be. That God is a sovereign, present, redemptive master to those who serve Him, to those who trust and find rest in His gracious works of redemption. And, and it's a call to persevere to the end in union with Christ, the one who fulfills everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for bringing us here this evening. We thank You for Your Word, God. We thank You for the reminders that You give us of Your faithfulness and Your steadfast love and mercy. God, that You are not just a God that has decided to interject and intervene into history, but that You are a God that has condescended with us that you walk amongst us. God, we see that, that Jesus is the perfect Israel who, who comes through the waters and, and defeats the temptations of the wilderness. And not only that, that he goes on to live a perfect life and then provide himself as the final and fulfilling Passover. God, that your wrath might not be placed upon us, but that when you see us, God, you see the blood of your Son, and you count it to us as righteousness before you. God, as we are in the midst of Holy Week and looking towards the death and resurrection of Christ, may we see that we have much to remember, God, but not merely that we have much to remember, that we have victory already. God, that you will, no matter what is happening right now to anyone in this room, that you will see us through. Because God, it is not in us, it's not something you see in your enemies, but because you have revealed that it is to your glory alone. And it's to that end that we pray in the name of your Son. Amen.